0: Amen. A really interesting portion of scripture that happens to be again read. And uh, we'll, we remember last time, again, when we looked at John chapter 12, we saw, again, the judicial hardening of our Lord, uh, of those who saw many of the miracles, heard many of the sermons of the Lord Jesus Christ and question again, whether he happened to be, again, Messiah. He hid himself from them. And we realize this is a judicial hardening. And that's not to say that these people were not responsible or they could somehow, again, point to some other means or some other reason of why they didn't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. They were culpable. They were responsible for the rejection, again, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when they appear before that judgment seat, again, of the Lord, that they will have to pay for their sins. They will have to give an account of what they have done in this life. But it's amazing again when you look at these dark passages that happen to begin in the Word of God, because even in these dark passages, there is always light. You know, and you can see this in these few verses that we're going to look at tonight. You know, especially again when we come to verse number forty-two, we're going to see again that some believed on Him. You know, but I think this passage of Scripture, when you look at it, is not not as easy as we first think to to interpret because the question has to be asked did these people really believe were were they really saved individuals did they really come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus And the reason why I say that is because with a true belief in Jesus Christ, with true salvation in Jesus Christ, always comes a public testimony. Always comes something that's external, that people see, that people perceive. Uh, Jesus even said in Luke chapter 12, verses 8 and 9, he says, And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men, men, will be will be denied before the angels of God so you think of that the the ones again who do not profess openly to other people salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ are, are giving a testimony you know in that day again of judgment Jesus Christ will say I never knew you depart from me you workers of iniquity you know and we look at this passage of scripture and it really brings up the the question can somebody be a true believer and be a private believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, a secret follower of Jesus Christ? Can somebody really commit their heart to the Lord, but nobody knows about it? Can someone, again, really confess their sins or, or repent of their sins and trust Jesus Christ, live a moral, upstanding life, but no one know that they're a believer in Jesus Christ? Is, is that even possible? You know, and I think something that even muddies the water even more is not only this text of scripture, because it seems to go in that direction and say yes to that, but we realize even as we look at this verse again tonight, that we never look at a verse in isolation. We look at it in context. We also look at it in the fuller orb of what we call the word of God, you know, the other verses that happen to begin in there. But what really muddies the waters, I think, even, even further is many times when we look at our lives, we have a hard time professing Christ. We have a hard time many, in many situations standing and even speaking for the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that, right? There's times where we uh, uh, are silent and we should speak up, you know, and speak again of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have uh, struggled with that. You know, and and, and it's amazing to look at all the commentaries right here because all the commentaries are pretty well split. You know, I would say 50-50. Whether these individuals happen to be truly born-again believers, whether they happen to be truly believers or not. Ones, again, that came all the way or only ones that came part of the way. And it really, again, is a struggle to understand what salvation is and also the eternal state of our soul. Because the question we have to ask ourselves, again, as we look at this passage of Scripture, are we a private follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, and is it it possible to be a, a, a private follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because one of the things that we know beyond a shadow of doubt, we're saved by belief in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone, right? He has done it all, and we realize that. You know, and so we would say salvation is in Jesus Christ alone, But the thing that we always have to remember is that faith is never alone. All those who God justifies, in other words, gives this holy standing in his presence, also sanctifies. There's this lifelong process where we're being changed more and more into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, those who are not being sanctified have not been justified, have not truly trusted in the Lord, have not truly trusted in him. So I think this, this passage is valuable because it allows us to examine our own testimonies, our own hearts, and really see the dynamic of what saving faith is. So I just want to see a couple points tonight, and I hope it will be a blessing. I hope it will be a challenge. But the first thing I want us to see is that in this group that we're talking about, I want to see the, both their faith and their struggle. And you can see that in verse number 42, because we look at what it writes. says, Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him. But here's the problem. For the fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. And one of the things that we realize about authentic faith is a lot of times it doesn't make our lives easier, does it? It actually complicates our lives. It actually makes our lives, again, more difficult. You know, and I think, again, we all realize that on one aspect. Certainly we have the peace of God. Certainly we have the presence of God everywhere we, we, we go. Uh, we have his promise of grace, You know, we have all of those things that are such a buttress and such a security that happens to be in our life. But really, when you look at our lives, our lives become more complicated. They become more difficult. You know, many of you know, again, of relationships that are not the same, you know, that have been severed just because you came to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not that you were ornery. It's not that you were ignorant. It's not that you happen to be in other people's faith. But people do not want anything to do with you because you happen to be a believer in the Lord Jesus And they might even castigate you for your faith in Jesus. And this shouldn't surprise us, because Scripture is loaded with verses that tell us and indicate, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that this will take place. In fact, Jesus even says in the Beatitudes, he says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you, falsely on my account, Right? On my account. Not because we're doing evil, but on account of the Lord. Now, why are we blessed? Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. In other words, this is a sign of eternal life. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I mean, it's good news, isn't it? You know, and uh, and also we realize in Second Timothy uh, chapter 3 and verse number 12, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, again, here it is, will be persecuted. Uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt, there is going to be... Opposition And why is there going to be opposition? I want you to think about why there's opposition. There's opposition because our profession of faith is something that is not private. It's public. You know, there would be no opposition if it was just private. If It was just me and Jesus in the back closet. You know, but it's something that happens to be public. So think of this group because this group has heard the teaching of Jesus Christ right from the lips again of our Savior. They've seen him. Uh, many that happen to be in this group would even have been present for the raising of Lazarus. And so we read these words that happen to be right here. the county counting the cost, but, but, but we read these words. Nevertheless, many of, even of the authorities believe in him. And here's the problem again. But for the fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the uh, synagogue. So John explains the reaction he explains this ju- judicial withdrawal of the Lord Jesus, but in the midst of that we have this word nevertheless in other words it 's not the only thing that happens to be again spoken, and we have this glimmer of light that happens to be in this passage of scripture, because again, we read that uh, it says it says here many even of the authorities many even of the authorities, in other words, many of the common people, along with some that happen to be of the authorities, otherwise those religious leaders, actually believed on Jesus Christ, and that's the word that's used. And why is that word so critical? The word is so critical because all the way through the gospel it's been used. Believe, believe on Christ, believe on Christ, believe on Christ. That's been the call. In fact, the most famous verse in John, in fact, the the whole Bible happens to be John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever hears the word believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And there's that promise, right? Simple belief in the Lord Jesus, simple trust in him. And all of a sudden, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that our sins are forgiven and we're forevermore with him. And in one sense, I think this text is so encouraging don't you? You know, so often we can preach, so often we can teach, so often we can labor, you know, Sunday after Sunday, day after day in our families, and our churches, you know, with those that happen to be again around us. And it seems like nothing is happening. Have you ever been there? You know, you're presenting forth truth. You're trying to live that life that speaks again of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there seems to be so little that's happening. And what this text tells us, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that God is doing more than we could ask or think, more than we realize. You know, it's a call to faithfulness that God is doing a work, and he's doing a work through his people for his eternal glory. Now, When you look at that statement, again, that they believed, it seems, again, that many have come to Christ. But the problem is the response, isn't it? That they did not profess him um, uh, verbally. They did not profess him openly and publicly. And the reason why is because they counted the cost. They realized beyond a shadow of a doubt that there was going to be a cost for following Jesus. And you can see that in the second half of the verse because it says, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. So that they would not be put out of the synagogue. And that's the whole problem, isn't it? Their whole lives would change. And we don't really recognize that. You know, if somebody leaves the church and goes over here, they might go over to another community. They might go over to another church. They they might have another association that happens to be right there. And their lives continue on. Their whole lives would, would have been different. When, when, when it says they would have been put out, it's not just being put out of the temple and you can't come to the temple to worship God. It means to be put, put out of the community. No one would have anything to do with you. You know, these religious leaders would, would lose their stature, would lose their reputation, their position. For the common per- person, they might even lose the ability to work because nobody would hire them, nobody would associate with them. And I think in a way we can be sympathetic with this because all of us have felt that pull, haven't we? Somebody's asked us a question about Jesus, and we know it's going to bring some sort of response, and it might be a real negative response. And we feel like barking. We feel like changing the conversation in a different direction. And we, we, can, we can sort of sympathize with them. You know, and many people think well, what we have here in this passage of Scripture is just new believers, you know, new believers who have not been grounded in the faith. Later on, when they've been grounded in the faith, they would be stature. They, 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 they would stand for the Lord Jesus Christ, publicly profess him, but not at this time. They're hidden believers in the Lord Jesus. In fact, James Montgomery Boyce quotes Matthew Henry, who actually holds this view. He says, the truth of the gospel has perhaps a better interest in the consciences of men than we are aware of. Many cannot but approve of that in their hearts, which yet outwardly they are shy of. Perhaps these chief rulers were true believers, though very weak, and their faith like smoking flax. Some are really better than they seem to be. Their faults are known, but the repentance is not. A man's goodness may be concealed by a culpable yet pardonable weakness, which he himself truly repents of. The kingdom of God comes not in all with, with a like of observation. Nor have all, I'm sorry, nor have all who are good the same faculty of appearing to be so. And the question is, is that, that what we have here? You know, and I'm going to maintain that that's not what we have here. You know, and the reason why is because the grace of God is never cheap. The grace of God, again, is absolutely efficacious in the life to change hearts, to change again lives. You know, it's not something that's chief. And I think a lot of times we look at that word believe and we look at that word believe and we look at that word believe and we think again of it just as a mental ascent to truth. You know, somebody says, yeah, 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 I see, I see Jesus God. Yeah, 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 I really realize he died for a re- uh, for, for reason that they happen to be in. And I don't think we understand the word belief. Because there's a word that's used synonymous throughout the Gospels with belief. And you know what it is? It's follow. You know, those who believe did what? They followed Christ. You know, we even have this uh, call or summons by Jesus in Matthew chapter 16. He says, and Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, and here it is, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. You know, think of what these individuals are doing. Whoever will save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I mean, cross. Taking up your cross today is many times all the ailments that have at the beginning of life. When you wake up in the morning, that arthritis is getting to you. You know, it's that nagging uh, uh, person that you work with. And it's all those little idiosyncrasies that we face in life. That's not what it's talking about again right here. What it's talking about again right here is that I believe in Jesus. And how do I know that I believe in Jesus? I follow him no matter what the cost. And what Jesus is saying, there is going to be a cost. You know, there is going to be a hatred. There is going to be a loss. It could even be the loss of your life if you follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And what you have to realize is this public testimony of confessing Christ and this belief in the Lord Jesus Christ are absolutely synonymous. They go together. In fact, we even read it by, by, uh, from Paul in Romans chapter 10 and verse number 9. Listen to both halves. It says, because here, here's the verbal, here, here's the public. If we confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and, here it is, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what? You will be saved. There's both halves, isn't it? This public profession can't help but profess him along with believing in the the heart. And the whole thing that you have to realize is salvation has a cost. But God's grace, again, is so efficacious. It is so grand. It is so amazing. Which really brings up the question in each one of our lives that we have to ask is, are we a private believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? Because I can say beyond a shadow of a doubt, because of saving faith and what the word of God teaches about saving faith, that that's an impossibility. That is an absolute impossibility. And you might say, yeah, we're young in faith and everything. Think of what we ask young young believers to do. What do we ask young believers to do? Anyone help me out? Get baptized. Public statement. Come here and say what? That my allegiance is with, Je- my hope is with Jesus Christ. These are my people and this is my Lord. This is my hope. That's what we ask you young believers to do. And what is that? Why is that so important? Because that is a sign of true, authentic faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's not something private. It's not saying, well, you know, wait three or four years, and if you're strengthened in the faith, maybe one day you'll be baptized. No, follow the Lord. And why? Because it's synonymous with believing. You know, and that's what we have to realize. And the amazing thing that I love about the Word of God is the Word of God always shows the intentions of the heart. It always opens up and shows what truly is inside you know, and as you look at this passage of Scripture, you see where the real struggle of these men are. It's not just external trouble, but look at what it says here in verse number 43. It says, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. I mean, isn't it an amazing statement? And I think we all know this, but I'm going to state the obvious. I, think, I, think, I believe we all know this. Everyone who professes Christ truly is not one of God's. Is truly, again, not believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. I, th- I think all of us believe that, and all of us recognize that. And let me say beyond a shadow of a I think this group right here that he's talking about are in, the, are, are, are in that group. And the reason why is because of what this verse says. Because this verse, again, talks about their loyalty. It talks about their allegiance. It talks about, again, their first love. Think back to uh, John chapter 9. In John chapter 9, you have this, this poor man who is blind from birth. And he's given sight, right? He doesn't have near the theological knowledge of these religious leaders. And yet, well, what does he do? He professes Christ. He professes that Jesus is uh, Christ. Nothing like this has been done in all Israel, even though they're forcing him, even though they're trying to coerce him, even though they're trying to manipulate him to say something else. He will not move on this. He will not move on this. And think of the religious leaders. The religious leaders are saying, you know, we know something of this guy. We know, you know, that he is a Lord. And let me just say, it doesn't mean that we never have struggles in this. You know, we're put in this situation or we're put in that situation. does not mean that we struggle with it. But having a struggle is different than this. Being absolutely determined that nobody's ever going to find out about it. And I have no conviction. I have nothing wrong with my conscience. This is the way that I want to live. You know, there's something desperately wrong with that situation. You know, it really reveals what's nearest and dearest to our hearts. And that's what it's talking about because it is uh, explaining why they are private in their belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because look at what it says, for they love the glory, right? The accolades that comes from man more than what? The glory that comes from God. And that glory that comes from God is not just, well done, my good and faithful servant, but who God is. You know, and what, what do they love? They love the greetings in the street right? They loved, again, how people looked up to them. They loved the chief seats, whether they happened to be again in a synagogue, whether it happened to be again at the banquets. They loved the respect. They loved the titles that, that, that people had given them. And these are the things that they lived for. They lived for these things. And they realized the gospel was true. They realized forgiveness of sins is such an amazing truth and that Jesus Christ, again, according to the gospel, has done it all. But what the world offers, what this society offers, what the people around me offer are so much better than the Lord Jesus Christ. It's incredible, isn't it? How blind we can be and how in love with the things that happen to be again around us uh, that we can have. You know, Arthur Pink writes this about this passage of Scripture. He says, These men whose minds were convinced, but whose hearts remained unmoved, not only feared the religious authorities, but they also desired. The approbation, in other words, the approval, the the uplifting of their fellows. They were determined to retain their good opinion, even though at the expense of an uneasy conscience. They preferred the good will of other sinners above the approval of God. Oh, short-sighted folly of these wretched men. Oh, the madness of their miserable choice. Oh, what avail would the good opinion of the Pharisees be when the hour of death overtook them? And what stead will they stand will stand them when they appear before the judgment throne of God? You know, it's absolutely incredible. When you look at the natural person, what the natural person will choose instead of the Lord Jesus Christ, how they'll look at the world that happens to be around them and the promises of the world that happen to be again around them and rather have these things. And the amazing thing that happens to be about this world Is there's absolutely nothing that I can take with me. You know, everything in this world will be given up. There's nothing in this world that we take. You know, and even Jesus again asks this question in Matthew chapter 16. He says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? And then he asks this question, Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? And let me ask you, what do you want most out of a life? What's your dream? What's your aspiration? What do you say beyond a shadow of a doubt? If I could have this, I could have life. You know, is it Christ or is it something else? Is it friends? Is it advancement in career? Is it money? Is it some relationship? If I can just have this relationship with this boy, if I can just have this relationship with the girl, then my life again would be full. I mean, what is it in this life that we desire more than the Lord Jesus Christ? It certainly shows us, again, where our heart is. You know, and think of this, because this is all in contrast. You know, notice again how the translators that happen to be right here, they put verse number 41 in with verses 42 and following in this paragraph. And it says, Isaiah said these things, because he saw his glory, speaking of Christ's glory, speaking of God's glory, and spoke of him. So, you know, the message comes right after that. That quote, again, that uh, I'm going to give you this ministry, and I'm going to harden the hearts, again, of these individuals who will hear this message. And it said, again, he went on and spoke these things. In other words, testified of the Lord Jesus Christ, testified of God, even though, again, these words were spoken. And the reason why is because he saw his glory. And the question we have to ask ourselves, when it says he saw his glory, what did he see? And remember back last week, we said it was in Isaiah chapter 6. You know, one of the most familiar chapters that happened to be in all all of the Isaiah you know, and it's absolutely stunning because listen to the opening four verses. It says In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and a train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one called out to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. I mean, what did that look like? You know, the grandeur of what that looked like. You know, Isaiah is just undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among people who are unclean. And all of a sudden, one of the seraphims fly over and they take a coal off the altar and they purify his lips. And then the question is asked, who will I send? Who will go? Who shall I send? And here's the answer. The answer that comes from Isaiah is, here am I. Send me. I mean, absolutely breathtaking. Now, now let me just pause here. I think a lot of times we think it would be so neat to be Isaiah. Yeah. And don't we? Man, we need be neat to have that vision that happened to be right there, right there. And let me tell you, Isaiah is the most holy man in all of Israel at this time. And he says, I'm undone when I see the holiness, something of the holiness of this great God. He is all overcome with fear like a dead person. You know, and I think a lot of times we forget how difficult their ministry was. I mean, think about it. You know, I've been here 23 years at a Manu Baptist Church. Let's say Isaiah preached, I don't know how long he preached. Uh, Maybe better people know it than I do. But let's say he preached 40 years. You know, in all of his preaching, there might have been a handful of people who responded. But the vast majority of people, when he preached about the coming judgment, judgment, uh, uh, rejected his, his message. I think a lot of times we forget what the prophetic role was. They were 11th hour messengers that were sent to Israel to announce it's time to return. It's time to repent. Judgment is coming upon the nation. And they were largely, um, uh, they would, they, they were largely failures as far as people responding. The message was not heard. You know, and this is what he means, even even in verse 40 of our text, which is taken from Isaiah chapter 6. He says, he has blinded their eyes, speaking of what God will do through the preaching of Isaiah. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. So God judicially hardens them, even though this grace has been given, this grace message over and over is given. And think of how hard the lives of all the prophets were, because we get some taste of it at the end of Hebrews chapter 11, beginning at verse number uh, 36. It says, Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. Now, here's the question. Who would live like that? Who would say, you know, I'm going to follow the Lord today and it's going to make my life more difficult? I mean, who would say that? Well, anyone who would experience verse number 41. Isaiah said these things because. Isaiah said these things because he saw glory and spoke of him. My life, when I see Jesus has paid it all and see the great hope that I have in Christ, can never be the same again, right? And we see this. There's a reverence. And why? Because there's this greater glory that overcomes any fear of man that all of a sudden controls our heart and controls the direction that happens to begin in our life. Isaiah saw that. The prophets saw that. And we who happen to be, again, sitting here, are in a greater position than any Old Testament prophet. We see, through the Scriptures, the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, as you look at this text, it is quite clear that there is a cost when you follow the Lord Jesus Christ. So I have two questions, and here's the first question. You know, have you counted the cost? You know, have you counted the cost for believing... And following the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, recognizing it will come. And the second question is, because this really answers the first question, have you seen the glory of the Lord? Right? Think about it, because we see, there was a whole different group that were given this same choice. Be separated from Israel, and when you're separated from Israel, you risk ostracism, you, ri- you risk excommunication, you risk your whole life changing. And it was on the day of Pentecost right? These are new believers. These aren't people who have been saved a while and have their roots deep in the scriptures, right? And what's the call? You know, Peter preaches the sermon. What's the call? Repent and be baptized. And you see all these people leave this, leave their lifestyle, leave again this hope of Judaism, and they come over here. And why? Because faith, true saving faith, is always public. And why is it always public? Because how can it not be public when we see the glory of what Jesus Christ has done for us? We live for his glory and and may all of us make sure of our calling and election in the Lord Jesus Christ because there's nothing more glorious, there's nothing more wondrous than the glory of our Lord and what he has done for us. Let's bow our hearts in a moment of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this text. We thank you for your glory. We thank you that you're the all-awesome one. And we thank you, Lord, that you move in your hearts of your people, so much so that we see the significance of the forgiveness of sins. We see the cost. We see the resurrection and the great hope that we have in Lord Jesus Christ. That our lives change. Lord, so much so that we publicly proclaim Jesus Christ. We publicly live for him. We publicly, Lord, even speak of our allegiance of him. And, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for true saving faith. I thank you for changing our lives, whatever the cost. Just be with us and just help us. Lord, that we may make our calling and election always sure. We thank you again in Christ's name. Amen.